Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by, with, by, joined by, I don't know, my, hey, Carrie, say something. Hi, Carter. It's Carrie, Carrie Smith. Smith. The bad mamma jamma. <laughs> Carrie Smith. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. As always, you can... Um, Follow us at on YouTube at the on this channel, Unsafe Space. You can go to unsafespace.co. There's no M, it's not .com, it's .co, because M stands for Marxism, and we have none of that here. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Space Co., same as the URL. And uh, we've got a Facebook group for Deprogrammed, Facebook group for Unsafe Space, uh, probably on Gab and all those other things. Also, we make audio versions of all the podcasts, so you can listen whenever you want. And we're starting to make uh, short clips. We are starting to make some shorter clips. That's in process. Anyone who uh, wants to help us for free do stuff, drop us a line. Uh, just bug us on Twitter. And we're more than happy to take volunteers. So uh, um, please, you know, one thing you can do, like, subscribe, share, 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 share the show. Um, we're really trying to build our audience. We're new. So our audience is uh, it's pretty small, but growing thanks to you guys. And Frankly, uh, the larger our audience is, the better, uh, often the higher caliber guests we can get on the show. Uh, sometimes uh, high caliber guests will do us a charity uh, charity event and come on the show. But a in general, yeah, I do us a kindness. But uh, in general, uh, more, more followers means better guests. Um, also, feedback on stuff you want us to talk about. Anything else, Carrie? I feel like this is a lot of housekeeping today. No, I think that's a, no. I think you touched on everything. We have a, this topic is huge today. There's this so topic much. topic is going to be a fun one. Um, I mean, but you could really devote four or five hours to this. Uh, yes, I went down a rat hole. I was telling Carrie earlier, I went down a rat hole last night. Well, so I, um, reading I told, Laura Kipnis. Yeah, yeah, I told Carter to look up Laura Kipnis and now he has a crush. I have a crush. <laughs> she's, uh, she's 60 something. Uh, professor at Northwestern. She's and, a badass. Um, I haven't told my wife about my crush uh, on Laura <laughs> yet, but uh, it's real. She's she's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> so uh, great writer. And I was up I was up buying her books on Amazon last night. Uh, so that's how you know the crush is real. <laughs> anyway, be um, of what we're talking. The comment period for we'll talk about what Title Nine is, but the comment period for the proposed there's pr some proposed changes to Title Nine, um, and that comment period had just has just ended, so that's kind of in the news right now. Um, Betsy Devos or Devos, we're not really sure how to say it. Carrie, which do you prefer? Devos. Let's say Devos. Okay, Betsy Devos, um, who uh, is uh, I guess running the Department of Education. Um, she is uh, she's proposed updating these these title nine regulations and they've not been you know the reaction hasn't been good from the in, ensconced leftist institutions that you would expect so the prince i was looking at you know princeton the princetonian was writing about it uh they don't like it um there's an article in the washington post that's titled how the trump administration's title nine proposals threaten to undo me too yeah um I like to call it pound me too, as Owen Benjamin does, uh, instead of make <laughs> me too. But <laughs> I never uh, heard that before. <laughs> uh, that's a good. When I was growing up, right, it's same as same as Owen. This is why he came up with this joke, right? Uh, 
That was the pound sign. So if you just read it, it like sign. you're an old guy, it's the pound me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, That's going to be so triggering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's very triggering. Uh, so from as far as I can tell, by the way, the um, we'll get into what Title Line is and what these uh, changes are. But so far, from what I can tell of the pushback on the changes, there's two main reasons people hate the changes. One is... Um, they introduce the they reintroduce the idea that you are innocent until proven guilty in some minor capacity, uh, just a little bit, uh, and that can't that's not allowed in the social justice world, and so that's a problem problematic, as they would say. Um, and the other thing is um, the other main reason is fuck Trump, and therefore fuck that's Exodus it and everything else. So um, that's, that's, that's it. The, well, so yeah. let's let's just I Would don't you, know if people know I don't know if people know, but this. This started a few years ago. It actually started in 2011 under the Obama administration when they sent a letter to all of the institutions of higher learning in the U.S., like 4,700 colleges and universities. And the letter basically uh, instructed schools to do do away with due process in the interest of uh, helping women come forward about rape or being believed or, you know, creating this uh, climate where, where people didn't feel like they, they couldn't uh, report rapes. But what they've actually done is with that letter, they basically, they redefined a lot of things. They redefined sexual assault. Uh, they made it a very broad thing. So this, this started in 2011 with a letter from Obama. And so now, now because it's Trump, you're exactly right a lot of people don't look past the fact that it's Trump. And so they're just like, screw him. This has got to be something evil. It's like, no, this is necessary and needed. This is one of the first things. I remember you asked me on a podcast once if there's anything Trump has done that I supported and I couldn't think of anything at the time. This is something I absolutely support. <laughs> well, good. So let's give some context. So um, Title IX is part of the uh, Educa Education Amendments Act of 1972. And Title IX itself is actually pretty short. I'm going to read it. It says, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, denied the benefits of, or subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So basically what this means is if you don't do these things, the, the feds can withdraw funds that they, they are giving you. So there's some incentive to, to abide by Title IX. Now, like Carrie said, up until about 2011... Um, first of all, there, there's not like clear regulations about it. There's just been guide guidance that's been given to mm -hmm. schools about what it means to follow Title IX. And that's if you if you remember Title IX from kind of the olden days, it was what um, is responsible for women's sports. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there needed to be, you know, equal access to sports and that kind of thing. That's what it used um, to be known for was sports. Yeah. Yes. But but, but now it's known was, for rape trials. Yeah, so it turns out that a lawyer from Yale decided to uh, interpret this as, well, if a woman has to go to school and face her rapist or someone who has sexually assaulted her, that is um, denying the benefits or being subject to discrimination of education. And therefore, um, sexual assault and, and actually harassment needs to be kind of encompassed here. And a judge agreed with her. And so, and, and the Obama administration issued guidelines here. And like Carrie said, um, it's, it's pretty horrific. And, you know, well, they, I'm, I'm going to interject just to say something about those guidelines. Yeah, go ahead. They, with the full force of the federal government, I mean, they came in and said, uh, is it OCR, the Office of Civil Rights? They threatened to pull yeah. uh, federal funds from colleges who did not abide by these guidelines. Yeah. 
Um, and in the guidelines, they expanded the definition of, uh, of sexual assault and sexual harassment to include things like compliments, like hitting on someone, asking them for a date. Yeah. <laughs> like some of the schools have, they had now have policies that, that prevent this. It's, it's, it, it's, it's kind of insane. And they also, like you said, they, um, they, they basically said that schools should make sure that the uh, uh, alleged victim, which over time, the language changed at the beginning in the 2011 letter, it was alleged victim, alleged perpetrator. By 2015, if you look at the way the federal government um, is talking about this, they're now saying survivor and perpetrator. Right. They've completely yeah. dropped alleged. My crush was talking about this, right? She's talking okay. about, uh, she says that they, they've now used this word survivor, Laura Kipnis. But I mean, by the way, we should give her some credit. She's she's not just my crush. She's a very prolific and brilliant uh, um, uh, filmmaking professor at Northwestern University. And she wrote a book called Unwanted Advances, Sexual Paranoia Comes to Campus. Um, but she also wrote this article called Sexual Paranoia Strikes Academe. And um, she actually ended up being investigation. She was investigated under Title IX for writing this article, which is itself ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, and her response, because she's a badass, was to just write another article about the investigation. Um, and then she got pulled she, into another Title IX. Right. So she, says, she, she writes um, on the word, when she talks about this word survivor that's being used, she says, are you seriously telling me, I wanted to ask the Title IX committee, that the same term now encompasses both someone allegedly groped by a professor and my great aunt who lived through the Nazi death camps. Which is like, it's a great question. Like, wow, that is a yeah. pretty broad use of the term. She also, she also asks this question. There's this list of um, things that they weren't supposed to do. Her original article was actually about uh, consensual sexual relations between um, uh, students and, and professors, which especially in grad school happens yeah, often. Um, but uh, the number one rule on the list that they were telling her at this uh, indoctrination session that she went to was, uh, do not make unwanted sexual advances. And, <laughs> and then she writes, someone demanded querulously from the back, but how do you know they're unwanted until you try? Right. <laughs> and then she admits, okay, it was me. <laughs> um, who asked the question? But it, I mean, it is a great question, right? It's like, don't make unwanted advances. Well, how do you know? Right. Well, this is no why way. you now see um, millennials. There was a study done where they were polled, and it's a third of all millennials think that complimenting someone is always sexual harassment. That's a huge number. Right. A third of millennials think that complimenting someone is sexual harassment. And a fourth, it was a quarter of millennials think that asking someone out on a date is sexual harassment. It's always sexual harassment. How do you get to the date? <laughs> like, how do you know? And, uh, but, but the reason this is happening is because of what we said, but this is the rule. It's, it's almost like the rule of law on college campuses. Um, so of course they're starting to, view these things as uh a, a, to view it as sexual harassment because that's the way it's defined and, and there are consequences on their campuses right so you can blame the universities to some extent but also um they they have to protect their ass because they don't want to lose federal funding mm -hmm. so let's just go through like so if you haven't thought about this or you haven't heard about this you might think gee 
how might it work? Like, what would be a process that would seem reasonable? And you might think it looks something like this. Uh, someone makes an allegation. There's an objective kind of initial investigation about the, the credibility of the allegation. Like, is there any evidence or, you know, could we bring a charge? Um, then some kind of formal charge is made where you're told you violated these things. This is what you did wrong. Here's the clear kind of formal objective process. So there'll be an objectively uh, objective body determining um, this. And then here's the process. You might expect that process to assume that you're innocent until proven guilty. You might expect that process to uh, allow you to have the right to representation. You might expect that process to see that, to allow you to see the evidence that's against you and to know what it is you've actually been accused of and, and a chance to respond and present your own evidence. Um, you might expect that you get to face your accuser, right? And, and ask your accuser questions, kind of a cross-examination thing. Um, and, you know, then the trial. And uh, if you're acquitted, uh, you would expect to be acquitted if there was reasonable doubt. And you would expect um, if you were guilty that there'd be some kind of appeals process. Um, but that's not at all how what they call the grievance process works. Um, based on, and you know, we, we're going to give some examples here, but the summary that I could tell, and Carrie, correct me where I'm wrong here, it seems like uh, you're told there's an alleg allegation against you, but not specifically what it is or what rules you violated. Correct. They um, do not allow you to, they do not, and in many of these cases, they do not allow you to see a written record of what you're being accused of. I know that sounds crazy and people aren't going to believe this, but that's happening. You, somebody accuses me of sexually assaulting, harassing them, and I don't even get to know what my what the accusation is. Right. That's crazy. Yep. <laughs> you you can't have a lawyer. Sometimes you can have someone that can can join you, but they have to be quiet. But you can't have a lawyer. Um, they actually don't even tell you the charges until during your interrogation. So they basically say, like, we want to we want to talk to you about these allegations and you're like what allegations well we can't tell you until we ask you questions and talk to you so that's how that works you until you record that report. session yeah right um the things that you on um, tweet and write in journals um anything that you do outside like you can be in trouble for if you tell anyone about it you can get in trouble um you never get to see your evidence really until until the kangaroo court wait let's you're back up because we're, we're moving through this too quickly I, again i i want people you're not sure, allowed sure. to tell people you're yes. not allowed to tell people. In fact, one of the cases that we're going to talk about, he got in trouble for asking for help, like for for yeah, sending out an his, email uh, and asking for Kojo? help. Kojo, everybody should look up Kojo Bonzu. This is the kid at UMass Amherst. Um, he's the son of immigrants. He was on track to, you know, had a great future ahead of him. And then <laughs> this case. Wait, wait. Uh, let's get to this case later. But everybody should look him up. That kid got in trouble not just because there were false allegations against him, um, but for asking for help and telling people what was going on. Yeah, he reached out to some group. He was a, he's a, he was an African-American, he is an African-American, but he was an African-American student. And he reached out to a group that was supposed to help African-American students or minority students or whatever, and told them what was going on and wanted some help. And they reached out to people and they, I guess, shared the name of the accuser. Um, and uh the survivor he got from campus. <laughs> campus sorry the survivor yes he yeah. got he got banned from campus so um and so there, there's also there's also this preponderance of evidence um standard instead of guilt or sorry instead of uh presum presumption of innocence and uh reasonable doubt there's this different standard which is preponderance of evidence which is uh a much lower standard 
Um, and just to they, read, just to they specifically go ahead. said in in the letter. So the Obama administration said to these colleges, yep. it instead of you know in our legal system, it is this idea of due process. You are innocent until proven guilty, and um, there's the concept of reasonable doubt beyond a reasonable doubt, right? They said as long as you're fifty percent convinced that this might have happened, fifty percent is not beyond a reasonable doubt um, that you should go ahead and punish this person. But what's even more incredible is before they before they reach their verdict, um, they they punish the student already. Like they ban like this kid was banned from campus uh, right. because they don't want the accuser or the survivor to. Uh, to run into him, he's not allowed to go to class, which causes him to flunk. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. He's I, th there's just a ton of different. No, that's that's a really great point. Ahead of time, dwell on that for a minute, Carrie, because um, they actually implement the punishment before the even the process of the investigation is complete, because they presume, well, if you're guilty, then you're some kind of rapist, so you should be punished now, and we'll lift the punishment later if we decide that you're innocent. Maybe. Right. And um, look at this. Most of these cases ever since. Uh, so in 2010, the average duration of one of these Title IX sex trials on campus was 289 days. OK, the average duration now is is 963 days. Oh, my God. That's four years. That's your college. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah. So. Um, Sorry, according to a recent Washington Post article, students who were found guilty of sexual assault despite strong evidence of innocence filed a new due process lawsuit against their college every week in the year 2016. Wow. So um, there's also a website called Save Our Sons, and uh, they're tracking a number of lawsuits. Where, so people have been kicked out or whatever, have their lives ruined by this, and they're suing their universities. Um, I just want like some of these examples. <laughs> Let me just read one example. A male is studying in the library for an exam and is staring off into the distance. A girl in the library files a Title IX complaint because he stared too long in her direction. He's suspended for a year and cannot be on campus. That's the kind of stuff. Oh, um, and a third, like at Yale, they have a new category now where a third party can report the violation and the so-called survivor doesn't even have to be on board, can can say, I'm not cooperating. Right. And they found at Yale, a third of the cases there are third party allegations. So you've got people like, here's a kid, Grant Neal at Colorado State University expelled for rape. His girlfriend was like, uh, he didn't rape me, <laughs> but it didn't matter because- right, third But party, someone else said, yes, he did. Yes. Uh, there was another kid, Matt uh, Bormeister at University of uh, Southern California expelled same thing. Girlfriend says, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> like, but it's third party. It, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I it's, think this it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Um, so I don't know if we should we walk through what the proposed changes are because they seem I read so I admit I skimmed, I didn't read the whole thing. It's 144 pages. Um, but last night I skimmed it and I read all of the parts of it that said what the proposed changes were. I just didn't read all the, the rationale behind all of them. Um, before um, we do, just a couple more of these cases, I, okay. I think, just so people understand yeah, yeah. the scope of it, because it's not like one or two strange stories. There's hundreds of these. Well, let's talk um, about Kojo because he's real compelling and 
Um, and there's this, you know, he's a one of the main characters in this uh, Atlantic article that you shared on Facebook. Yeah. Right? Um, so everyone should go and read. There's a great, I mean, there are a lot of great articles. I'll that. We'll post it. We'll post the, I'll post it in chat now, but I'll post it after afterwards on the video. So it's called the uncomfortable truth about campus rape policy in the Atlantic. It was a three part series. Um, they do cover this kid, Kojo Bonzu at uh, UMass Amherst, I think, um, who in his case, he's at a party at a house. Um, he was a junior. There's another junior there. They end up by her own account. They engage in consensual oral sex. Um, but she says she feels like she felt like she, she kind of wanted to leave cause she realized she was very high, but that she didn't want to have gotten him all worked up and not finish giving him this blowjob. So she does. And then she leaves and then she feels embarrassed. And then she says, I then realized that I had been sexually assaulted. No, <laughs> you had she not. Said, she thought of her RA training. Yeah. That, then that's when she realized she was sexually assaulted, right? right? And she yeah. even said uh, something about how she wanted to take responsibility for her part in it, but for not leaving, for actually for engaging in this, but that right. she fe now felt violated and wanted to hold him accountable for a consensual right. sexual encounter. So a lot of these cases, what happens is the um, if it gets reported to the police, the police investigate and are like, this isn't a sexual assault. Goodbye. You know, so that happened in this case. The police were like, there's no crime here. Uh, right. But the university reacts completely differently. So like you said, they punished this kid before they before he even got to know the charges against him. You know, he was banned from campus. He couldn't go to class. Um, he ended up, of course, having to drop out. Um, it just derailed his entire future. So and, and it's based on the whims of someone who's regretting a sexual encounter. It's like um, that is not. That is not <laughs> sexual violence. That is not rape. That is not um, sexual violation. That is you consenting, engaging in something, and then later regretting it. Regrettable sex is not <laughs> sexual assault. Yeah. You know, um, the uh, the author of uh, Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood, wrote an article about – it was a case in Canada, but um, I think the Galloway. title of the article is uh, I'm a Bad Feminist. And uh, she has something in here. Uh, Am I a bad feminist? Sorry, that's the that's the title. The the um, she's got a, something she says here, which I think is a completely reasonable position, and one would think is a feminist position. Yes, uh, at least someone who's maybe naive. But um, this is not the position of the radicals anymore, and it's not the position of people in charge. And so she says. My fundamental position is that women are human beings with the full range of saintly and demonic behaviors this entails, including criminal ones. They're not angels incapable of wrongdoing. If they were, we wouldn't need a legal system. <laughs> now, Margaret Atwood, she, by the way, she's my favorite author. She's been my favorite author since I was 15 or 16. Um, what was really great about this essay is that she got raked over the coals by SJWs for basically saying that this professor who was being brought up on title nine charges, uh, Stephen Galloway, that he should have, he should be able to know what charges were being brought against him. You know, she, she didn't even say this guy's innocent. She just said like a, a couple of people stood up to support him and said, we should have due process here. 
Um, it's yeah, I don't not, know if it was Title IX because he's in Canada. Okay. But it, it was, was something it, similar. Something similar. Yeah. And so for that crime of basically saying you should, someone should be innocent until proven guilty, she was attacked online by SJWs and feminists who, yes, we're calling her a bad feminist, but um, were basically outraged that she doesn't just automatically believe women, you know? And so I love this piece of hers because my favorite, The Handmaid's Tale, since it became a television show, feminists and SJWs have have taken it up, you know, as it's 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 as if they own yeah. it now. Oh, they um, they dress in the Handmaid's Tale costumes yeah. and go to the the Supreme Court hearings and yeah, right. And I'm most of them, I'm sure, haven't even read the book, but they're running around dressed like handmaids. And uh, to have the author of that book then then say something like, "Hey, maybe we should wait to find out if he's guilty," uh, they couldn't stand it. And so her response, much like Laura Kipnis, Margaret Atwood is a total badass. And so this piece that she wrote is her responding to them. And it's kind of like, yeah. if that's how you define feminist, then yeah, I guess I am a bad feminist. Because guess what? Women are capable of uh, deciding to engage in in sex, just like a man, and then later regretting it. And that doesn't make them some kind of a victim. Did we freeze up, Carter? Oh. Sorry. What I happened? think my I think Please. my screen froze. Oh, I think you're okay. Okay, maybe not. You're frozen. Um, Keep going. <laughs> I'm I'm frozen. No. Yeah. Well, you don't need to. I'm not that exciting to look at. Uh, you know, it's weird because the um, you know, feminism originally, and I think um, I think Kipnis talks about this. Uh. We assumed that that women had agency and that they were going to go out and be sexual creatures and that and that they um, shouldn't be shamed for uh, going in and deciding to have a sexual life and um, sleeping with professors or other students or whatever it is. Um, but and and really, in order to in order to consider uh, a woman, which you should equal and reasonable like men and capable of making rational decisions and and being in positions of power in society as as you should uh you need to you need to assume that they like men can can are have agency uh, accept personal responsibility can uh you know are, are responsible for making their own decisions and and yet on campus what we've got now is this assumption that um women are fragile little flowers that get acted upon and they are never responsible for their own behavior. It's always someone else and every little thing hurts them. Or right? if you don't, uh, you know, uh, some of the, the, some of the, if you, you invite someone out on a date, do you want to go on a date with me? Do you want to have sex with me? Whatever you do that, that can be a problem, right? That's, that's somehow harassment or assault or that injures them or they now have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's characterizing women. The, the term that I think it was Margaret Atwood that used, but it might have been uh, Laura Kipnis, uh, is uh, they're infantilizing women. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're making women seem like these stupid little children who can't uh, or aren't responsible for themselves. And that's not good for, for, for women anywhere. It's insulting, first of all. Um, and second of all, it it coddles them. They're going to get onto the real world when, where like that's 
you're responsible for your own behavior. And Carrie, you shared something on Facebook. I don't know where, where did that ad come from that said uh, oh. she was drunk or what, what was that? What was that ad? Okay. So they have all these, we've talked about all these um, Orwellian kind of uh, uh, posters and stuff that are going up at college campuses um, with biased response teams and hotlines where you can call and report a fellow student for saying something offensive. Well, so this is a poster that went up at, um, I think it was Coastal Carolina University somewhere in South Carolina, but on the poster, it's like, you know, Jack cons uh, Jack was drunk, Jane was drunk, uh, they had sex, Jane could not consent. Jack was charged with rape. <laughs> like, right. But they're right. both drunk. Yeah, yeah. They're both drunk, but a lot of campus policies now say that if the woman has had any alcohol whatsoever, any alcohol, like one beer, cannot consent, that's rape. That that's and that's a lot of these cases are um, now it's just a rush to go and report each other. One of one of the recent cases was uh, a guy and girl, both drunk, consensual sex. I forget which school this is at, and the guy preemptively went and reported her afterwards for. Did it work? Because I was going to ask, has a guy tried that? Because yes, he tried it and it did work. But then she reported him, and now it's in this weird limbo where they have two competing Title Nine. Charges. Uh -huh. They're both saying. So well, that's I the answer, guys. If you get if you get charged, <laughs> just charge right back and say you were raped. Um, there's another. There's another crazy one, um, and I haven't. Forgive me because I haven't read about this one recently. I was trying to find it before, um, but I read about this one last year. There was one case where it was a couple. It's a girlfriend and boyfriend. Um, they were making out. Uh, he. I think he even asked her and, and I think in the girl's report, he even asked her if he could touch her and some, her breast or something. And she said, yes. So they were consensually making out. And then a year later or so after they had broken up, she decided to become a man. <laughs> so she was transitioning and she reported him like a year after the fact for sexual, um, for sexual assault and for mate because she said she felt uncomfortable seeing him in the men's room that she didn't want to have to go in the men's room and see her ex. And, and she, in her own, I, we, I should look this one up and put the name in the comments, but in her own um, written uh, account of the events, it was consensual. So what she's regretting here is having to see her ex-boyfriend in the men's room because she decided to transition is now in the men's room with him. Like it doesn't, and, and this guy, this kid's, it sounds, again, it sounds crazy, but this kid's life is being derailed because of this. Um, yeah. There are just a ton of, there was another case that uh, this was in Oregon where a guy was contacted by the university and told he couldn't come to campus, just like the uh, Koju case. He was banned from campus and it took him forever to find out what the, what the allegations were, because again, they don't have to provide them to you, but it turned out that, uh, he looked like a rapist. This woman reported him because he looked like her rapist. He reminded her of her rapist. And so the university said, hey, don't come to campus because you look like this but other guy. He wasn't her rapist. He wasn't a rapist. And he was eventually cleared. But it's like he has to go through this whole court system this uh, on campus. Not insane. <laughs> like, yeah. I, and, and I think, uh, you know, people need to understand that I know all of this stuff sounds like apocryphal, like it just sounds like it can't be real, but it's real. Go look it up. It's real. It's really happening. It's really destroying men's lives. Um, There's a guy and, in Texas uh, who just killed himself. Uh, everybody should know the same Thomas Cloak. Um, he, he was accused of uh, sexually harassing 
a, a gay uh, student. And by his account, when he finally, again, look up this guy, Thomas Cloke, K-L-O-C-K-E. Um, he couldn't get a written account of the allegations for the longest time. Once he did, he was like, that's not at all what happened. Um, this guy's making this up because he was hitting on me and I told him, I'm sorry to him straight. Um, he went through this whole kangaroo court system. This was at uh, University of Texas at Arlington and he ended up killing himself. And his father is suing now as he should. Uh, but yeah. he, this harassment for years. And, and, it, and again, this kid is being presumed guilty it, and he should be presumed innocent. Yeah, yeah. So let's just really quickly walk through what the changes that are proposed are because um, it, I think it's important for people to understand because I imagine that over the next few months we're going to hear um, arguments from the left about how evil Betsy DeVos, DeVos is and how um, Trump wants to support rapists on college campuses and uh, blah, 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 and all this mm -hmm. kind of nonsense. So um, I, I, like I said, I read, I read all the changes. I didn't read all the rationale, but I read all the changes. Um, you know, in the summary here is that uh, they're trying to make them in line with court precedent. So there's already been court precedent in some cases. So they're trying to make sure that the the changes are in line. They're trying to make them clear, first of all, because there's been like guidance letters and they're trying to make like, let's just put these into regulations that are very clear. Okay. So people, so universities know, because again, these are regulations universities have to follow um, and actually elementary and high school students. Um, so they want to make them clear. They want to make them in line with court precedent. They want to make them fair to the universities because right now the universities uh, freak out. So for example, um, when people say, oh, they're limiting the scope of what's, what's called sexual harassment. Well, currently, um, the university is afraid that if something occurs between students off campus at a non-university related event, they could still be held liable. And so uh, the government is trying to say, no, like the university's got to be involved. It doesn't have to be on campus, but if it's got to be something that the university sponsored or promoted, or it's got to be connected to the university where they have some kind of control in some way. Um, and they're trying to make the changes closer to due process. So from so those are the things they're trying to do from a broad perspective. Um, from the for the university, um, they're basically saying the university is only liable if the assault was a reported to the right person. Which I guess that makes sense. Why would they be liable if it's not reported? And they need to have actual knowledge. So in the past, there are these terms. There's a, a term called um, constructive knowledge, which is stuff that you should have known, uh, but you didn't. The quote should have known, or they they would argue you should have known. And there's something called uh, respondeat superior, which is a doctrine that means uh, um, you're responsible for any actions of people who work for you. So like um, if the if a staff member, if a, a TA sexually harasses you, but you don't report it, um, that doesn't count. It doesn't count as knowledge. The university didn't know, right? And you can't expect the university to know. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not liable. That like those things make sense. Universities should be liable for stuff that they know. You got to report it, or how can they do anything? Um, and it's got to be related um, to to the university in some way. Um, basically, if you follow, uh, if the university follows the right procedures now that they outline, then um, then they will not be found what's called deliberately indifferent, which means you know, they're okay. And that's important from a university perspective. They need clarity. Um, for, but from the student perspective, which is more interesting, um, they explicitly say um, 
recipients, and they mean universities, they're not required to deprive an individual of rights that would otherwise be granted under the U.S. Constitution. Now, that's a weird sentence. I read it a few times because I was like, shouldn't they be saying they're required to not deprive an individual of rights that would be granted under the Constitution? Mm -hmm. But they're not saying that. They're saying you're not required to deprive them of rights that would be granted under the Constitution, which, which um, is actually a reference to what Carrie was talking about earlier, where under previous guidance, they were required to deprive individuals of rights that they would yes. be guaranteed under in the Constitution. Um, and so they're saying, no, you're not required to do that. Um, that's good. I wish they would have made it a little stronger and said, you're actually required to not deprive them of rights. Yeah. Um, they, um, it separates, uh, it does something well, it separates uh, formal accusations from reporting. And this is important because a lot of people were complaining that, well, if you make the, um, if you make the accusation process more quote traumatic for the accuser, right? Um, they're not going to come forward. Women aren't going to come forward because it's a, you know, they could get cross-examined and it's a very traumatic process and then they won't get the help they need. So they said, fine, there's two different things. You can come forward and report it to receive um, supportive measures, but you don't have to, that doesn't automatically lead to a charge. You have to separately decide that you want to do a charge, right? So you're safe. And if you don't want a charge to happen and go through the rigmarole, you don't have to, you can just go get supportive measures, right? Counseling, um, whatever. Um, it allows for mediation. Mediation was explicitly uh, not allowed. So if uh, if the two parties um, agreed that there was some other way they could handle this together without going through the, the expensive process, uh, that wasn't allowed. It is now. Um, and uh, instead of this concept of vague, like unwanted advances, which is what I talked about before, where it was like, how do you know if they're unwanted unless... <laughs> uh, you're right. Uh, instead of this kind of vague unwanted advances thing, they said, uh, well, um, sexual harassment is very well defined. It's It defines as either an employee or the recipient, this is the university, conditioning the provision of an aid, benefit, or service. So basically, you, you only get this or that or the other thing. You're the university, you only get these things. Um, uh, if you participate in this unwelcome sexual conduct. So basically, like, I'll give you an A only if you go out on a date with me or something like that. Um, and it also includes unwelcome conduct on the basis of sex that is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it effectively denies a person equal access to the pro education program. So they're basically saying, look, if someone holds it over your head, like, explicitly, and says, like, look, uh, you know, if you want that A, you got to sleep with me or whatever, or you know, something like that, if they hold some, if they withhold some service or, uh, uh, you know, part of the benefit of the university from you because of that, that counts. But also if they're kind of like, you know, severely and pervasively harassing you. So if they're constantly bothering you and whatever, and it gets, it's like a, a real issue, then, then that counts. Um, but it doesn't, it, it includes conduct that it's sometimes a crime, but not always a crime. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the overview. And then they, they, I've got a whole list of things they did for the procedures, but the procedures that they changed were make a lot of sense. It's like you get notice that, of what your charges are. You get uh, a right to a speedy trial. You're presumed innocent. Uh, you, um, you get to cross examine stuff that makes sense. A lot more sense. I've got a whole list of it, but it's like, yeah. And they changed the standard of evidence from this preponderance of evidence standard to, 
Um, actually, they don't even change that. They say a university can have a preponderance of evidence standard, but if they have it for sexual harassment related stuff, they've got to have it for everything that's got the same kind of penalties. So if there's other stuff you can get in trouble for, for getting kicked out of school, the same standard has to apply for sexual harassment stuff. So if you want preponderance of evidence to be your standard, that's got to apply everything to everything. But if you want presumption of innocence to apply for some things, then it's got to apply to sexual harassment as well, which seems fair. Um, so those are the, those are, I mean, you know, we, if, if we need to, we can get into details, but we don't really need to. It's just kind of reasonable changes that make it kind of what you would, more like what you would actually, a normal person would expect the process would look like at a university. Right. Now, here's the problem. Um, part of what the Obama guidelines did was they mandated, see, before these guidelines, th there would be a professor or some staff member who was handling these Title IX complaints, but it wasn't their primary duty. So the guidelines mandated that every college have a full-time Title IX coordinator. Harvard now has 55 Title IX coordinators. So this, this led to this explosion, this huge growth in bureaucrats at colleges. All these people who are not professors, but who are professional SJWs, they get paid to be SJWs. So now you have all these colleges coming out because, of course, they have this huge bloated SJW bureaucracy of people who are just right. sucking. Now they're all sucking. complaining that they yeah. don't have jobs after this. Yeah, yeah. they're just <laughs> vampires sucking the blood of these college kids. Um, they've all these universities are now saying they're not going to comply. So no matter what Trump and, D and Devos Davos, no matter what they say in their letter, you've got universities that are now coming out in the press and saying, you know, we're not going to do what Trump says. And fine, <laughs> lose your funding. That's fine. I don't care. I, well, but are we going to be able to? enforce that i want them to lose their funding but <laughs> is that um i mean here's i don't know i i just kind of think i would expect trump to actually enforce like i would expect him to say like okay i would hope so um the other problem is to relate this back to like the topic of our podcast okay is for people who may be watching for the first time is about sjw ideology which is a uh, my old belief system exactly tamara by the way what did tamara say they've legitimized lynch mobs Oh yeah, they have. They've totally. Yeah. So uh, to get it back to the top overall topic of this podcast, which is SJW belief system, um, SJWs don't want to admit that this is happening. And so it's not talked about in the press as much as it should be. And it's actively denied by professional SJWs and feminists in the media. So some of my former friends, um, they are they're against Devos. They're exactly what you what you would think. They're like, oh, the Trump administration is pro-rape, or you know, they're they're characterizing it in a really dishonest way. Um, and when fake, when these cases come out, when they get big enough that they can't be ignored, um, they double down, which is strange. Like the UVA rape case, I saw professional feminists who, even after it was revealed that that was a giant lie and a hoax. Mm -hmm. I saw professional feminists who were still saying, you know, well, just because some of the details proved to be false, we don't know that something didn't happen. Like, what are you talking about? This is, this didn't happen, but because it goes against their narrative, they can't acknowledge, they would rather let all of these guys on campus who are now um, having their futures 
derailed, having their lives upended, they would rather let that happen than to acknowledge something that goes against their narrative, which is that women are victims, women are oppressed, always believe women. Um, so right. I, that's, I think that's it's, dangerous because a lot of those people work in journalism. Yeah, but they'll also turn on women, right? So they'll turn on Margaret Atwood and they'll turn on um, Laura Kipnis, right, for defending this stuff. Um, yeah, they turned on Cassie J. Yeah, and I. So I thought about this. It's a point that I, uh, that we've talked about before. Um, we tend to think of like political or philosophical or cultural movements as attempts to build something, right? That's how most of us think, um, which is fine. That that uh, I think is rational. Um, so we tend to think that these people um, they like have a vision, even if it's a weird utopian vision. They've got a vision somehow. This is how society should be organized. Um, there's something to aspire to. Um, there's some structure that they're trying to implement. Um, but with the social justice, the social justice gang, this is not the case. Um, fundamentally, they're nihilists, which we've we've talked about. And they're not for anything in particular. They're really just about destruction for destruction's sake at, at the philosophical core of what they are. And this means they really are a mob, which is why they get triggered by the use of that word mob. Um, they really are a mob. And one thing about a mob is it's very disorderly. And I was thinking about like, why would they go after, why bother going after Margaret Atwood or Kipnis or someone? Because um, they're, they're one of their own. And we, and we see this sometimes and we, we make comments on the sidelines. We're like, they're going after, their, they'll eat their own, right? Um, and I thought about what the, what the culture of social justice is like, what this culture of nihilism and destruction is like. And if you think about it, um, everyone in that group is vulnerable, right? Everyone has something that could be they could be accused of sinning because sinning is any kind of thing that anyone takes offense to. So it's so easy, like no one is is innocent. Anyone could be thrown under the bus, thrown to the sharks, torn apart at any moment's notice. So everyone in that group is walking around with a sense of dread that they could theoretically be the next one to be sacrificed, right? And, and we know that these sharks will eat their own, right? And there's no clear way for them to kind of maintain their um, purity or status in the group. There's nothing they can do because if the group turns against them, they'll take something out of context and whatever. It's just easy to destroy someone. They'll, they'll, they'll accuse a consent, you know, someone of a consensual romantic relationship will suddenly be rape because a third party said it was rape, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so... I was trying to think about like, well, if that's the dynamics in the group, what, what happens if you're in that group and those are, you know, thought, okay, this is your thought process. You're worried about this. What do you do? What do you do? Um, and I think what you do is what we're seeing. You, you find a sacrificial lamb who's not you and you throw their blood into the water and you, you virtue signal, you show how horrible they are. Yeah. Um, and this does two things. One is it elevates your moral status. Look, look how horrible they are. So now people are looking away from you. They're looking at them and it keeps the mob busy, right? They're busy eating that one. So you're not the one being eaten. And so what has to happen is whenever one of these dies down, there's got to be something else. There can't be a long period of stillness because I think what happens is there's this, uh, this buildup of anxiety that happens if there's peace for too long. And there's this feeling like someone's going to be devoured. I like I need to make sure it's not me. I need to make sure that I'm still at the top or at least in, in, in this protected group. I'm, I need to be one of the, the tribe. So 
if you see anything, anytime you see anything that like remotely, there's a remote whiff of maybe I could use this to throw someone under the bus, you do. If you're nervous, you do. You throw them under the bus, you virtue signal, you become the hero. Um, and right. every and the mob is distracted for a while, which is why you have a bunch of, which is why the male, a lot of the male feminists are the, the creepy, um, pervy, like Harvey Weinstein type people. They they have guilt and they need to like go after other people to virtue signal to, to distract the crowd. Sorry, that was a rant, but yeah, but I think there's a difference Sorry. between. Okay, th there's a difference here. Margaret Atwood and Laura Kipnis are different than SJWs who step out of line. So, oh yeah, no, I would agree yeah, with yeah. that. I'm not. I don't want to put them in that category, but yeah. Right. So S I think what you're talking about is absolutely the case. They when you see these kind of online mobs happen and they go after an SJW for saying something slightly wrong, and then the SJW ultimately apologizes and capitulates, which they should never do, but they do because they're SJW. Um, I, that's exactly what you're describing. I think it's different when you have someone like they view, they view, I, I was in this group. They view, um, they view me as a, as a heretic. They view someone like Margaret Atwood as a heretic. Laura Kipnis is a heretic because she's a feminist professor. And right. for a feminist professor to basically go against this ideology and not be apologetic and not respond to the mob. Um, they have to burn the witch. It's like, so they call these people the way they call Cassie J after she, you know, she was a feminist filmmaker. She had two feminist documentaries under her belt. And then in her third documentary, um, some of she her opinions changed. Mildly nice about guys. <laughs> yeah. And it's something her They're opinions not evil changed. all the time. Yeah. And you got to see that happening. And so I actually had friends, professional SJW friends on my timeline engaging in this character assault of Cassie J just watching them tear her apart as if she's a bad human because they don't like, they didn't like the documentary without even having seen it. They have to paint it as sexist and misogynistic. And now she's gone over to the dark side. They did the same thing with Kipnis when her book came out, my professional SJW friends ripped into her. They wrote essays about her. They, it, it was, they have to burn the witch because this is an unapologetic person who was uh, a member of what we've called like the high priest set. It's a marginalized person. This is a woman. How dare a woman not right. go along with the ideology and not, and when we try to uh, uh, bring her to heel, she doesn't, you know? So they hate, just like we've talked about before, they hate people like Candace Owens because Candace Owens is not only a woman, she's a black woman and she's unapologetically against their ideology. So yeah. they are the most vicious about members of marginalized groups who speak against it, who speak against this belief system. Right. Um, you don't always execute murderers, but you do execute traitors. Yeah, they hate, they hate us. Like it's, uh, uh, my former friends, uh, one of my, one of my friends, she, I don't care. She, Jacqueline Friedman, she wrote this book, uh, Yes Means Yes. She's one of these people who helped to popularize the idea of toxic masculinity. And uh, what do they say? It's not just consent. They say not just, uh, it's, uh, it's what's the word? It's a passionate consent or something. There's a word that they use. It ha you have to be like rigorously consenting. Um, oh, like so, vehemently consenting. Yes. Yeah. But there's a word Please for Please take my clothes off. Yeah. Affirmative consent or something. I don't know. Okay. So she's popularized all these terms. Um, she's one of these people who goes after other feminists if they dare step out of line and stop preaching the belief system, you know? 
I had another professional feminist friend. She, I mean, just to step back just for a second, she has to she has to really despise women to have that position. She really needs to think that women are pathetic creatures in order to hold that position. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think I think they get they get so caught up in it, but then they start making money from it. So they can't really objectively stand back and say I mean, it's their whole life's work. They can. I mean, <laughs> I've changed careers and lost money. Yeah, like, you, you can do that. Yeah. But the ones who make money from it like that. You did. You're selling, I did. But but it's hard to do that. You have to change. Yeah. I, I had to fold my company and quit doing what I was doing. <laughs> but, yeah. But you did it. Because yeah. you have integrity. Well, it's very hard to step back when you're... What's that Upton Sinclair quote about? It's hard to convince a man of something that his salary depends on him not understanding something i'm yeah. butchering it but something like that it's the same thing right they yeah. make they're making money off of it so uh christina huff summers she's another heretic they hate her um i yeah. i view christina huff summers as a feminist yeah. but they don't they call her anti-feminist right. they call her sexist they call her misogynist one of my professional feminist friends that's what she unfriended me over was that i like christina huff summers what a weird <laughs> thing to unfriend someone over <laughs> unfriend uh, <laughs> well anyway. Yeah, I mean, Carrie, I, I want to talk about this, but before I, because I've got some some thoughts that I, I thought about before, but I want to get your thoughts without you hearing mine first. Okay. What do you say to a parent who's got a kid who may go to college soon, like a high school age kid, or they're thinking about college in the next few years? What do you say to them? Uh, go to trade school. I'm kidding. Go to trade school. <laughs> That's one answer. Uh, but no, I, I, if I, I don't know what I would tell a son. I don't because I have a friend uh, who's got a son who's, who's a teenager and he was talking about how he's, he's told him just don't get close to women. Don't get close to girls. That's incredibly sad, but he's <laughs> it just, he's like, he has a tight knit group of friends. I think his kids 14 or 15, um, all guys, and they just don't interact with women. And yeah. when you've got a third of millennials saying that asking someone on a date or complimenting them is sexual assault, sexual harassment, like no wonder. So I don't know what I would say to, I, I would, I, you know what I would do if I had a kid who's about to go to college, go to um, Heterodox Academy. Mm. They have a list of um, the schools that have adopted the uh, Chicago principles on free speech. And that should help determine, like, I would want to find out if the school was an SJW, how much of an SJW cesspool it was. So go to the Heterodox Academy. Also go to FIRE, uh, which is fire.org, yeah, fire I think. Yeah, FIRE mm -hmm. has a list of um, of schools, and they give them a red, yellow, green light system based on how indoctrinated they are. Um, look at how much they're spending. Look at the, what the school spends on it, the bureaucrats, on the administrators. And ha has it been going up or not? Um, because that tells you right there what they value. If they have if they have a hundred people in their Orwellian sounding office of inclusion and diversity, it's like I don't think so, you know. Um, and if you're an alumni, you probably I think this was on homelessness, but if you're an alumni, organize about this stuff. There's a great guy online um, who's organizing here at the, uh, he's an alumni of the University of Texas at Austin, which is one of the worst. And I think it has a red red light 
a rating from FIRE. Anyway, he's organized a group of alumni who are pushing back against this. And so if you're an alumni, organize, pull funds, tell them why you're pulling the funds. Yeah. And so it's the, by the way, I'm typing in the chat here. It's thefire.org. Thefire.org. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I like your trade school thing. I mean, uh, just on college generally, I, uh, <clears throat> to be clear, I, I did go to college. Um, so I'm not, I'm not uh, knocking college just out of spite or anything. Um, first of all, I think we tend to tell people to major in stuff that's needed now instead of stuff that's needed in 10 or 20 years. And I think uh, there's a, that's a kind of a recurring thing, right? Everyone, you know, it was all like in the eighties, it was all major in Japanese. And then it's like, now it's like, who the fuck cares if you speak Japanese? Um, right. So, um, and now you've got this thing that's like major in STEM, major in science, technology, engineering, math. Yeah, probably those will always be valuable, but computer programming, uh, you know, 20 years, it'll be mostly AI stuff and it won't be, you know, you're not going to sit around and write JavaScript too much, I doubt. Um, so we also tend to, to think that colleges um, prepare our children for the world in two ways, uh, give them skills they can use to make money and, and two, uh, kind of prepare them emotionally and psychologically for for the challenges of life. And I would argue that neither one of those things is true uh, in most cases. And trade schools are great because no one's no one is learning how to be a plumber. No one's learning how to be an electrician. No one's learning how to be a carpenter carpenter. And uh, you know, go hire a plumber. See how much they make. They make as much as lawyers in some some places. It's like, a hard skill job. Yeah, it's a and it's not like we're gonna do away with indoor plumbing. Like that's going to be around for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, we're much closer to having robots that write code than robots that, you know, fix your toilet. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that is something to consider, but let's just, first of all, I would say if you donate to college, stop, just stop donating to universities. Um, the alma mater that you remember is not what's there now. Um, I thought about why you would maybe send why like I have a daughter she's not near college age yet but I thought because she's and she's asked me do I have to go to college because all she hears is crap so maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should uh, <laughs> change what I'm talking about but you know I thought okay well wh why when would I send her to college what like why would you go to college and they came up with a couple of reasons to go to college one is if you need a certification for a particular thing if you want to be a doctor you have to go to a medical school so you need a certification you gotta go do it. Right. Um, the other reason is to network. So if you can get into Stanford, you're going to meet a hell of a lot of venture capitalists and rich people in Silicon Valley, and it's worth it. You go to Harvard, you're going to read, you know, you're going to meet kids of sheiks and princes and whatever. Like you're going to meet important people that if you want to do business, networking is important. And uh, so you can really build an interesting network. But if you're not going to go to one of those schools or a school like that where your network can be, you know, just leveled up uh, in an amazing way uh, and you're not going to get a certification, I couldn't come up with a lot of reasons to go. So first of all, college is massively expensive now, not just the cost of what you pay, but there's a lost opportunity cost. You've got a four to five year delay of entering the workforce, um, which costs you both in, in skills, but also in money that you could have been making. Um, 
there are these risks, especially if you're male, of false accusations kind of ruining your career and your start in life. And they follow you around. People contact employers. They say so-and-so was accused of rape on campus. Um, there is this destruction of your ability to critically think. Um, it's intentional. Um, and they're also, like we talked about, they're also teaching kids to be these fra fragile flowers, right? Not adults. They, they can't tolerate dissenting opinion. They r run to the school administrators when any, anything offends them. Um, that's not skill set for survival in life. That's going to, you know, they're going to be back at home on the couch playing the Xbox if that's the kind of, uh, if that's the kind of prep that you're, you're helping them do. Um, if you want a technical degree, you can go to online. MIT has courses for free. Stanford has courses. Um, more and more, look, I'm a, I've hired dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of engineers in my career. Mm, don't really care about degrees as much anymore. Uh, at least here in Silicon Valley, like we care about the work and what you've done, uh, you know, contribute to stuff on, uh, you know, GitHub, have a GitHub repository, do something. No one gives a crap what college you went to or what your degree is for the most part. Um, and if you're not getting a technical degree, I mean, uh, Laura, what's your son? Oh, it was education. Now it's psychology. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's learning. He's probably just getting indoctrinated, right? Um, you're, you know, you're handing him over to SJWs 24 seven. Um, you're practically guaranteeing that they come out as Marxists. Um, and I would, you know, I thought about it. And if my child insisted on going to college for a non-technical degree, I'd probably say fine, but pay for it. I can't stop you, but I'm not paying. Um, and at least then they have to learn the amount of money and effort it takes to do this. And uh, maybe they'll reconsider whether it's actually worth it. The problem is maybe they can get student loans and just end up in $300,000 of debt in a Starbucks job after five years, which uh, the government is more than happy to let them do, um, which is unfortunate. But, you know, I guess if you're going to be a therapist, maybe it helps to have a psychology degree. But, you know, you can just go. I guess if you're certified, maybe you have to have a degree. I'm not sure, but you know, be careful. It's well, not always worth it. Well, one one ray of hope is that I keep reading studies or reports that Generation Z is that what they're calling the youngest kids? Yeah, that generation yeah. Generation Z is going to be more conservative than uh, the greatest generation, or you know, the, it's going to be the most conservative generation in fifty something years. And um, I keep hearing that as well. Yeah. Because they're looking at what the this craziness that the millennials believe in and are pushing. And I think they're, I mean, youth culture is counterculture. If this is the mainstream now, which it is, right? They're, they're reacting to it and they're pushing back against it. So, yeah, I've said this before. I've got a friend who's, uh, he's got a daughter in high school and he was telling me that, um, they use the term racist as an insult um, to each other as a joke. So <laughs> if it's like, good, like, yeah. So they're just like, you know, someone will be like, uh, oh, you're late. You know, you're late, you racist. Like they'll just like, if they, like any little insult, like you're a racist and like you're a racist. And like, that's just like, they just throw the word racist around. Um, they have a good sense of humor. Yeah, but I think that's appropriate, right? The word because what they're recognizing, there's an innocence with children, right? What they're recognizing is like that word means nothing. It's just an insult. Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't mean. So that's how they use it. They just use it as an insult. It, 
yeah, they've rendered it meaningless. And that's what they're acknowledging is that anything and everything is called racist these days or sexist right. or what have you. So yeah, <laughs> that's a really good sense yeah. of humor. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, and by the way, his, his, his kid is, uh, I don't think she's even really conservative. I mean, she's, uh, I don't want to give too much information away, but um, in a bunch of groups that to me sound like they're kind of left leaning, but even that environment is like, yeah, yeah, racist. It's just a joke. Yeah. It's a joke to call someone. Yeah, racist. well, that's hopefully, um, yeah. So. I don't know. Congratulations, social justice warriors. That's what you've done. Uh, you've made it a joke. I don't know, Carrie. Any any final thoughts um, on? Oh, one final thought uh, on, on this. Is there stuff we should talk about? Because you know, we don't have to. We don't have to go two hours every every week. We can stop after an hour. Right. Well, I would just encourage people to, um, and we posted some links in the chat, but check out these cases, like read up on some of the cases so that you, you, if, if this comes up in conversation and you hear people on the left or maybe liberal friends, just like knee jerk reacting against Betsy Davos and, and Trump so that you have a couple, well, what do you think about this? You could even give them one of these cases as an example. What do you think should be done in this case? Because when you personalize it and give them a real face to a story, um, it's harder for people, harder, I, not that they won't, but it's harder for them to deny that something needs to be fixed here. Um, and just because it's Trump behind it, who cares? It, this is a problem. It needs to be corrected. Um, yeah, in fact, can I cite something that we didn't mention before you mm -hmm. touched on it? But um, the so this is uh, an, an article, this is a New York Times article by Lara uh, Baselden. Basil, She's the director of criminal juvenile justice and the, and the racial justice clinics at the University of San Francisco School of Law. She's a leftist, or we'll say liberal. I'll give her liberal. the benefit of that out. So she's a liberal. Um, and she writes, the title of the article is, I'm a Democrat and a feminist, and I support Betsy DeVos' Title IX reforms. Mm -hmm. And she writes, the Office of Civil Rights does not collect data on race in Title IX cases, but the little we know is disturbing. An analysis of assault accusations at Colgate, for example, found that while only 4.2% of the college students were black in the 2012-2013 school year, 50% of the sexual violation accusations reported to the school were against black students. And mm -hmm. blacks made up 40% of the students who went through the formal disciplinary process. So um, there have been, I, I don't know a lot about this, but there have been a lot of arguments that uh, are saying, look, uh, this is this really disproportionately affects um, black students, partly because there's um, kind of a cultural stereotype about masculinity in the black culture and sexuality in, in the black males. And so they often become targets of these accusations. Um, the, the person that you mentioned in the article earlier who got a blowjob consensually uh, was a black student. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and one of the I ones who was expelled. Yeah, one of the ones who's expelled also. His race played a role in her kind of decision that she had somehow been hurt in some way. Um, and so, uh, you know, it is a real issue for no matter what your race, um, it is a real issue uh, in in colleges. These kids are getting, you know, false accusations are not something to laugh about. They ruin people's lives. And further, there's never any retribution. Right. It's not like the false accusers. One thing I would like to see in these regulations is uh, if the false accuser, the false accuser can then be accused of bringing up um, uh, 
we'll say specious charges. And if and if that's demonstrated beyond a reasonable doubt, then they get the punishment. Yeah. Um, the because, false accusers should be prosecuted. I mean, look at the UVA yes. rape hoax girl. Nothing happened to her. She yep. did, had a lovely wedding recently. <laughs> like she's out there. She made up this yes. massive lie. Um, th they need to be prosecuted because that's what prevents more false accusations. Clearly it's a deterrent. Um, there's an article I just posted in the chat that goes to what you're talking about. It's uh, on Reason Magazine, reason.com. It's called mm -hmm. We Need to Talk About Black Students Being Accused of Rape Under Title IX. It's by Robbie Soav. Sov, Robbie Soav. He writes a lot about Title IX overreaches. And so if, if people aren't familiar with him and you want to know more about the subject, like go to reason.com and just look up everything that Robbie's written. <laughs> He's really, uh, really well informed on it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you can search. We can maybe post some more links in there to you. I think I see you've got the heterodoxy link that you posted in there, which is great. Mm -hmm. There's the Atlantic article, which I posted. It's a three parts long, but uh, highly recommended if you want to get a, an overview of this. Um, actually, Gracie's asking if she thinks if we think that warning our kids about Marxist ideology and what it sounds like is enough before sending them to college. And um, I'm not sure it is. Uh, because there's a lot of peer pressure that they're going to be subject to. And, um, I, you know, I would say if they've got to go to college because they want to be a doctor, um, pick a college uh, that's less on the crazy SJW scale um, and try and warn them. But I don't I don't know. I, I mean, I want to say yes. I want to say like, oh, as long as they're critical, rational thinkers, they won't be affected. But I'm I don't. I don't know about that. It's uh, it's tough to be in. I mean, I just it was a long time ago when I was, you know, in school. But I remember the social pressure. Um, it's it's hard. And once you start even pretending to conform, that actually influences your own thought process and your own ideas, and and um, you eventually do start to conform often. So I don't. They, uh, Carrie, what do you think? Is that enough? Um, I, I don't know if it always is. It, they, they prey on, as we've talked about before, um, people's uh, desire to do good and be good. And they sell this ideology as something good, and it's not. <laughs> but they sell it that way. And so in the case of Title IX and these uh, campus rape trials, they get you to go along with it by saying that if you don't, support something like that, then you're, you're pro rape, which is insane. But the fear of, of being called a sexist or misogynist or someone who doesn't care about rape is big enough that people don't talk about this. I mean, adults don't talk, adults are afraid to say, Hey, I support, I, I may, I may, I may hate Trump and every other thing he's done, but I support this I support what he's doing with Title IX. I support Betsy um, Davos and the new regulations. People are afraid to say that because imagine if they did in their echo chambers and all their other liberal friends going, what? like, you support Trump on something? It's social well, pressure. So, yeah, and I would argue it's not, you know, I think you said something like it's pressure to be good. And it, that's not that. It's pressure to not be bad. It's pressure to not. Mm. It's They don't really care. Like, you, you can maybe be quiet maybe sometimes and without saying too much but you certainly can't say the wrong thing they're like the they have a hair trigger in terms of being willing to detonate your career and your life 
Um, it's a hair trigger. So, you know, you ask a question, gee, what's wrong with the Betsy DeVos proposals? Bam, you're, you're a trader. Um, yeah. You're eviscerated. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think of my daughter, you know, Gracie's saying that she talks her kids already about, and they're in grade school about this ideology. And of course, my daughter does too, because we have conversations uh, at the dinner table all the time. Uh, and on the way to school all the time, we had one this morning about this issue. Um, but uh, I, I'd like to think that she's she's critically minded enough that um, she's not going to get indoctrinated. But I actually think what would be more likely if she went into an environment like this when she's older is she'll be the one to ask a question and uh, get herself eviscerated because she, you know, said, well, what's wrong with the divorce thing? Like she's already at school has to keep her mouth shut and, and recognizes that. Um, the flip side is, you know, Gracie, your kids and, and and my daughter are young enough that, I don't know, cross our fingers, maybe in 10 years, colleges will be different. But right now, if you've got a kid on the cusp of going to college, this is what it's like. So, Carrie, any final thoughts? I think we should wrap it up here. Unless, Let's wrap uh, it unless up. people in the chat want us to talk about anything else. I think this is probably a good place to stop it. Mm -hmm. Um We'll probably come back to this another time and have some guests on to talk about it. But we wanted to give an, an overview of the problem, let everyone know what is going on and provide a little bit of insight into um, the the stuff you'll be hearing about Title IX in the next uh, the next few few months ahead of us. So thank you everyone for watching. As always, please, please, please share, subscribe, share like um we really we really need to boost our our audience um you can go to unsafespace.co there's no m just co and you can go to uh twitter unsafespaceco is our twitter handle we have a facebook page for deprogrammed which is this show uh which is every thursday at 11 and we have a safe uh, we have a facebook page for unsafe space we're also on podcast. Just look for unsafe space. You can get audio versions of all this stuff. Carrie, anything to add? Yes. Even if you don't like us, please share us and complain. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just share. We, how could they not like us? Oh, you know what, Carter? I got really excited because I saw we had some downvotes <laughs> on some of our videos finally. And that's awesome because that means we're getting outside of our usual audience. Yeah. yeah. I, most of the downvotes were on the Gillette ad. <laughs> right. Yes. But yeah. it was exciting. I was yes, like, some people don't play. like us. Cool. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, down, we'll take down votes. Um, frankly, a uh, an SJW hate mob would not be the worst thing for us. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't know. Okay, maybe it, it would be bad for Carrie. Anyway, thank you everyone for uh, watching, listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.